Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. I'm delighted to welcome to this podcast Dr. Brenda Major, who is a distinguished professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Receiving her PhD in social psychology from Purdue University, she's had a distinguished career in the social psychology area, and of interest to us today is her work on stigma and weight stigma in particular. She's the author of numerous uh, books and papers, well over 100. Uh, She's co-edited a book on uh, the psychology of legitimacy and is expert in a number of areas of social psychology. She served as past president of the Society for Personality and Social Psychology, among other things that she's done in the field. So, Brenda, I'm delighted to have you here. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. So there aren't many people, uh, there aren't enough people studying the issue of weight stigma. You're one of the people that does really terrific work in this field, so we're, we're fortunate to have you here. And let's start off by talking about um, how much weight stigma there is. Do you think it's a prevalent problem, something that affects the day-to-day lives of overweight people a lot? And then I'd like to talk about your work on the impact of it. I think weight stigma in the United States is, a, is really profound and pervasive. And you don't have to look far to see evidence of that. I mean, people who are overweight are negatively stereotyped and they're victims of discrimination in multiple domains. Um, they're blamed for being heavy and weight is perceived as controllable. So they are people feel it's socially acceptable to say bad things about people who are overweight. And of course, this is backed up by by quite a bit of research showing the various ways in which people who are overweight are demeaned and devalued in in popular culture. Discrimination and stereotyping comes even from family members, healthcare workers, friends, peers, teachers. It's really quite pervasive. So something that you mentioned uh, as you were just speaking might be worth talking about a little bit more, which is this double whammy between having a condition, in this case being overweight, that society devalues or detests, if you will, um, but then being being held responsible for it becomes a second part of the the burden, doesn't it? That makes, I think, weight stigma different from, for example, being stigmatized and discriminated against because of your race or your ethnicity or your gender. I mean, people do perceive weight as controllable, even though most people have great difficulty controlling their weight. And that to a certain extent, is seen as justifying prejudice against people who are heavy. So there's a famous sociologist named Irving, Irving Goffman who talks about, you know, the different types of stigmas that there are. And you see these great, you know, sort of antiquated terms. He says, you know, people who are o- overweight are doubly stigmatized because they're seen as both having, in his terms, an abomination of the body and a blemish of character. So it's not just that they look different, that we make assumptions about their character, about their will, about their you know, ability to exert effort. So these um, attributions that people make to, or these character assignments that people make to overweight people because of the stigma, does that get internalized and do people come to believe those things about themselves if they're overweight? Well, I think it does get internalized to a large extent because, again, people who are themselves overweight know that the culture views weight as controllable and keep trying and keep blaming themselves for being overweight and keep going on diets. So I think that there's pretty good evidence that weight stigma is shared by people who are themselves overweight. Um, So yes, I would say it is internalized to a significant extent. 
So there's a, gr- a great deal of psychological, social psychological, some, not a, I'm not sure I'd say a great deal because there's not enough, but some social psychological research on weight stigma, and you've contributed greatly to that. And the title of the talk that you just gave at the Rudd Center was The Psychological Weight of Weight Stigma. And so the idea is that, that this, this stigma bears down on people somehow and is really having a profound impact on them. And I know you've thought about the biological impact as well as the psychological impact. Um, and one issue that you've mentioned in particular is that the weight stigma creates a threat to a person's identity. Can you explain about that? Sure. So um, in social psychology, there's been a tremendous focus over the last 15 years, um, 15, 20 years on a concept we call social identity threat. And social identity threat is a psychological state that people experience when they feel at risk of being devalued or negatively stereotyped because of a social identity. So, for example, a number of studies have shown that um, African-American students, when they're put in a situation where they think they're going to be judged on the basis of their intelligence, that um, that often invokes a stereotype threat um, among them, and they perform worse on tasks than if they were taking a test that um, wasn't labeled, for example, as diagnostic of intelligence. Or women, for example, perform worse on a math test if they're told that it's diagnostic of gender differences than if we're told it's not. The idea here is that There's a psychological state that occurs that is stressful and that requires efforts to cope with, and it has downstream effects on um, people's intellectual performance and on their activities. And I think that weight exerts a similar, um, weight stigma creates a similar state of psychological threat for overweight individuals when they're in a situation where they feel at risk of being negatively stereotyped or looked down on because of their weight. Now, I've, I've, this is a literature you know a lot more about than I do, but I've been impressed in what I do know about it, about how sometimes very um, subtle manipulations in an experiment can change a lot about how people do on intellectual tests or other methods mm-hmm. of performance. Could you give some examples of that? Well, it's really... Um, it's it's striking how subtle the difference can be. Um, just to, for example, mention um, studies in which um, college women come into a lab and they're going to take, they're told that they're going to take a test. Um, and it's described as a math test. And they're shown, for example, questions from the GRE. Um, and in one condition, they're told that um, simply that, that we're going to take this this um, math test. And in the other condition, they're told that we're going to take this math test and men, women and men don't do any differently on this test. Very simple, one statement. And um, when women are taking a math test and they're not told that there aren't gender differences on it, they perform worse than men do. When they're told that there aren't, I don't know, I think I said that wrong. When they're told nothing about gender differences, women perform worse than men do. When they're told there are no gender differences, they perform just as well. So this tiny little switch in the situation produces this threat. Now, what's the source of the threat? The source of the threat is... Um, women's awareness that women are negatively stereotyped in the math domain relative to men. And so when they're taking this difficult math test, that they're aware that they might perform poorly, might be judged negatively. I should point out, this isn't conscious. This isn't a threat of which people are aware. It's a non-conscious experience that has downstream effects that are quite pernicious. You can imagine how powerful... um an impact this could potentially have on individuals. If something so subtle can trigger it, then things in day-to-day life must trigger it almost continually for people being reminded of 
one thing or another about their identity that sets into play these expectations that I'm going to behave differently in a situation. Well, I think it does. It It is a situational threat in that it's um, this state is not something necessarily that people carry around with them chronically like a personality characteristic. It is activated in situations where that identity is relevant. Now, let's take the case of weight, um, of being overweight. So I would expect that identity to be, to be activated whenever overweight people find themselves in a situation where their identity is both as an overweight person is both relevant and salient. Mm -hmm. So like a job interview or um, meeting a potential date. Those would be two good examples where a person might fear or anticipate that they might be devalued or disliked or looked down on. Or even think about an overweight kid who's going to entering junior high school or going to school in the morning, worried that they might be a victim of being bullied because of their weight. Those are situations that can create um, social identity threats surrounding weight. So what does research on this look like? What sort of studies have been done with weight? Well, my own research, for example, um, tries to put people in situations where that might activate social identity threat and look at the downstream consequences for physiology and emotions and, and cognition. So um, a study that we recently completed, um, college-aged women, um, generally from 18 to 22, um, participated in an experiment where they came in um, to my lab and we asked them to give a speech um, on why they would be a good dating partner. And half of the women, um, we asked, we told them that, that they would be videotaped and there was a camera very clear in the room. Um, and for the other half of the women, we told them they would be audio taped and there was no camera visible in the room. And the women themselves varied in terms of their weight from uh, average weight to um, obese. And so what we hypothesized was that women who are overweight, when they're put in this situation where appearance is relevant and um, we make it salient, they're, they're going to be videotaped, that this is an identity-threatening situation. This should be, create stress and it should create... Um, it should put a uh, cognitive depletion, which is basically it should use up working memory resources that they need to do other kinds of tasks. So, so what, it's just sapping your it's sapping it's, your it's energy, your, your energy and your ability to think clearly, clearly. remember things, and a right. lot of a whole cascade of things you're talking about. And that's why um, researchers believe that social identity threat has these effects on things like performance on a GRE test, mm -hmm. that it generates stress and it saps, in a sense, your energy, your cognitive resources, and it impairs your ability to do those tests. So we have women who vary in their weight, come in, they give this speech, either videotaped or audiotaped, and what we find is in the videotaped condition, the heavier women are in terms of body mass index, um, the more their blood pressure goes up. So we show increases in blood pressure reactivity during the speech, and the worse they perform on a test they take right afterwards, which measures basically working memory or cognitive resources they have at their disposal. In the audio tape condition, however, we don't see a difference as a function of BMI. So it's only when overweight women are put in a situation where their weight is visible that I think it activates the state of threat, which generates physiological and cognitive um, problems. So you can imagine how profound an impact this could have on an individual's life. You know, they're, if, if they're thinking about their weight, it could change the way they 
they do the SAT or the GRE and therefore affect what college they get into. It could affect how they do in college. It could affect every part of their dating existence and how well they do in job performance. They, I mean, you could see it rippling through every area of their life, couldn't you? Well, I, th- I think that whenever the situation makes weight sailing, I mean, there may be contexts in which you don't even think about you don't even think about your weight. You're not feeling like you're going to be negatively judged. You're with your friends. You're with, you know, family members who accept you. You're in a context where you've been going every day to work. But then it does just a small trigger in the environment. Mm -hmm. Perhaps somebody new, perhaps overhearing a derogatory comment, perhaps seeing um, articles in the news that morning that um, talk about the cost to society of obesity that Mm -hmm. can activate thoughts of being... um, devalued because of your weight that you then carry with you into the next context. So that's interesting because in the past 15 years or so, there's been a tremendous amount of press attention to the obesity issue. Um, It covers a lot of different facets of the problem, but among the facets are the health care costs, the prevalence, how how it's become a more serious medical and social issue. And you're, you're saying that that could trigger some of these stigmatizing feelings in people. Well, that's sort of what got me interested in looking at weight stigma in particular. I've been doing research on perceived discrimination and the consequences of being a target of discrimination or perceiving yourself as one for 20-some years. Um, And I've been watching the increasing media frenzy and attention giving in the media to the obesity epidemic and the social costs. And my... Experience as a stigma scholar led me to say, wow, these messages have got to be highly stigmatizing for people um, who are overweight, that they in themselves are increasing stigma. And in fact, there is some research done by scholars right there at your Rudd Center that suggests that um, stigma, the weight stigma is increasing, prejudice against overweight people is increasing. And so I think it seems to make a lot of sense that, yes, these um, kinds of messages can in a sense, make weight highly salient and have you bring that into social situations where it could affect you. You know, it's, it's a good thing that people are beginning to study this and look at it. In the work you mentioned by my colleagues at the Rudd Center, led by Rebecca Poole, shows that a lot of these news um, reports on obesity um, in, in both the Internet and in, in the print media and also um, in television have accompanying images that go with them. And those images themselves can be very stigmatizing, mm-hmm. independent of the what the content of mm-hmm. the article is. And so she's created this wonderful bank of less stigmatizing images that some of the media are using more. And hopefully that sort of thing will be helpful as time goes on. I think that's a terrific idea. And I also think we need to um, to be aware of what messages these um, anti-obesity um, basically messages are conveying, that there are other messages that are being conveyed in addition to the intended one. So what would be examples of that? Well, so we find, for example, that um, among people who already have anti-fat attitudes, they don't like people who are heavy, that exposure to a simple message on the health costs and the health consequences of obesity increases Um, anti-fat attitudes, so it makes them even more negative towards people who are overweight. And we saw this also among people who were themselves overweight. So it can just increase negative attitudes towards them. And I think to the extent that um, these messages convey the point that weight is controllable, that it's a person's own fault that they're um, overweight, it exacerbates the problem. 
So you're talking about long-standing, <clears throat> somewhat intractable stigma um, aimed at overweight people that sort of courses through society, if you will. Are there studies that have looked at um, reducing weight stigma, and what sort of promise do you think there might be in that arena? Um, I'm not aware of any studies that have shown how to reduce weight stigma, quite frankly. There have been people who have looked, I think, relatively unsuccessfully. But I think it's important to point out that weight is not stigmatized in every culture. So, for example, in Mexico, um, being what we would call overweight is not stigmatized. In those cultures, we should see far less negative effects. So it's not, we don't have to stigmatize people who are overweight. And I think it's linked to the fact that our culture believes, you know, prizes this idea of individual control, that we're all masters of our own destiny. And, of course, there are huge environmental factors that are exerting a strong force on why people are gaining weight today. What do you think of the statement that some people make that weight stigma is good because it will motivate individuals to lose weight? Well, I think that um, there's, they need to back that up with some evidence. Um, I think that, in fact, some of these messages may, my own data and research would suggest that these messages may simultaneously increase the desire and decrease the capacity. So we show so for, for to, lose to lose weight. weight yes, huh? so we have data that show that um, overweight women who um, read an article on you know lose weight or lose your job that talks about the the cost you know employers not wanting to hire people who are heavy in fact subsequently report reduced self-efficacy they, for controlling their weight they feel that they're less capable of sticking to a diet so um, and in fact they eat more uh, as a result of being exposed to that message so I think that um, it might increase the desire but to do so in the in the presence of decreasing the capacity is kind of cruel so it sounds like you it would be fair to say given our discussion that weight stigma is an issue that must be addressed because it not only is there are there social justice fairness issues about stigmatizing people in general but in this case the weight stigma is not only making life difficult for the people who experience it but turns into health consequences that everyone has to pay for because of the health care costs for obesity. So one could make the claim for um, people that do the stigmatizing, whether it's conscious or not, that it's unhelpful and, and, the, and it ends up affecting them because of higher rates of obesity hmm. and things like that. Very interesting. I mean, would, do you think that would be fair to say? Well, I certainly think that um, to the extent that weight stigma and stigmatizing people who are heavy both – um, increases their stress levels. So, for example, my research says it shows that it increases blood pressure reactivity and decreases um, self-control capacity. It can contribute directly to health through increased stress, indirectly to health through increased um, eating and unhealthy behaviors. So it's an ironic effect. So the intention may be to get people to lose weight, but the byproduct might be, in fact, that you're making them less healthy. Right. You know, one thing that I think is interesting is that the work on stigma um, has has gone back a number of years, especially in the field of social psychology, but the study of weight stigma is relatively recent. Why do you think that is? Because people got, you know, were studying race and gender bias and things like that long before this. That's a very interesting question. <clears throat> I'm not sure. I think that because um, because of the belief that weight is controllable, um, 
society as a general rule isn't as bothered by the fact that people who are heavy face discrimination and prejudice as they are um, that women or uh, African Americans or Latino Americans experience prejudice, that somehow it is their own fault. So I do think this perception of the controllability of weight plays a huge role. And as the data become clearer, that sort of the individual choice or individual control is such a tiny piece of what's contributing to the weight issues we see in America, people are starting to say, hey, this isn't right. So I do think that that might be a change, one of the reasons in the change. So let me ask you to look into your crystal ball. If you could write a script for where the next exciting generation of research on this field would go, what do you think are some of the important questions and what would you like to see people address? Well, I'd like to see more research that is of high quality that really looks at the link between um, anticipated weight stigma or experienced weight stigma and health that is done in a way that can tease out important confounds. So prospective research, for example, that, that looks at changes in health as a function of weight experiences, I think is highly needed in this country. Um, we could do it, you can imagine doing this among children, um, going to school, or studies that can really tease out what component of mental and physical health is in fact um, being contributed by stigma or weight experiences, weight stigma experiences, independent of contributed by adiposity. That sounds good. Well, you know, thank you so much for the important contributions you've made to this field because the lives of so many people are affected by weight stigma. And uh, the more science that gets done on it, high-quality science like you do, the, the more the world will pay attention and hopefully we'll come up with some solutions. So I very much appreciate your contribution. Thank you. It's really a pleasure to be here. I really admire your center and what it's doing. Thank you. So our guest today is Dr. Brenda Major, Distinguished Professor of Psychology at the University of California, Santa Barbara, and well-known figure in the social psychology field. Please visit our website, www.yalerudcenter.org. There you'll find a breaking news on food and food policy issues, a free email newsletter that gets dispatched monthly, and a list, of course, of all the other podcasts that we've recorded, and in addition to that, a variety of food-related food resources on public policy. Thank you.